Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Dave Popowich. I'm Rob Geary. Good to good to be here today. I was going to say you don't look like Faisal. I am not. I'm filling in for Faisal this week. He is still on vacation. Be back next week. Yeah, that guy's got the greatest life going. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, thanks for filling in for him, Rob. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to sit and chat uh, with you. We can take some cheap shots at uh, Faisal along the way since he's not here to defend himself. It's the funnest time to do it. <laughs> hey, we got a we got a pretty cool show today. We've got a couple of inter- interesting topics, things that people have been asking about. Yeah, we get uh, some great one. As uh, things open up, I, we have a lot of uh, clients and conversations that people are starting to travel again, Yep, get out there. Uh, so we'll start chatting about um, that, some things we need to maybe think about or know in the yeah. travel season coming yeah. ahead here. If you're if you're ready and you're brave enough to get back to traveling, right? Where are people going? What are they doing? What should you be thinking about for sure? And what about um, Calgary real estate? What's going on? So lots of concern right now with interest rates going higher and what does that mean uh, to real estate and in particular in Calgary. We're going to explore that actually with a local real estate agent, talk about what uh, what he sees in this market and what we might expect mm-hmm. uh, over the coming uh, maybe months or a year as inflation uh, and interest rates reset. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So listen, let's talk about the markets. Um, well, yeah, we we shared some we shared some duties this week on on, on media. Uh, this morning, I, I unfortunately took in a tough loss last night at the Flames game. So yeah, yeah. Listen, thanks for covering on Friday for me. I appreciate it. I did go see that uh, that Flames game, and it was a late one and an unfortunate ending. Um, you know, on Thursday evening, uh, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case for markets this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was. We've had seven or eight weeks, depending on the markets you're looking at, of uh, of pressure. Mm-hmm. on the markets and equity markets in particular. Um, and they've been falling. We saw some recovery this week. You know, Rob, the question is, are, you know, is this a bit of a sort of a dead count bounce in a bear market? Or is it a bottoming, yeah. right? And is it a recovery? Uh, that's the question people are asking right now, Yeah. right? I mean, volatility is fun on the upside and we got some of that this week and that's going to allow people to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. But we're not out of the woods yet, right? No, it's what what kind of data points do we need to either drive us higher, or what could push us further lower here? Yeah, and if you consider uh, if you consider sort of inflation as the as the number one enemy right now, and inflation meaning what's the central bank's response to interest rate hikes to deal with inflation, right? That's number one fear or un, a piece of uncertainty. This week was interesting. Uh, markets were supported by a couple of things. We did see some evidence in various economies, including the U.S., mm-hmm. that economies are slowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that, that'll be a natural reaction to higher inflation and higher interest rates. So, so there's some data to indicate that already we started to see the, uh, the effects of that. Um, we, saw, uh, we saw earnings coming in pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I hesitated on that one a little bit, Rob, and I'll get your opinion on this. There was a mix in earnings, hasn't there been? Over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks, as you and I have been reporting on various companies, yep. there's there's been a very big difference, particularly in retail. Retail big time. Companies and their their earnings and their forecasts going forward. What are, you, what are you thinking about that? Oh, it depends what we're looking at sector-wise. And uh, the consumer is mm-hmm. the big question mark here and where they're spending. And we're seeing, well, Gap, right, was this week. So that's a big 
bellwether again on um, where people are spending on the retail, on clothing side. So, so you, I think you were on the, the week that Target reported, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a couple of weeks ago, I think yeah. now. Target, Walmart, Kohl's, some of those big ones. And um, they got they got crushed when mm-hmm. they came out with their forward guidance, their actual returns, and then their forward guidance. And then there were others um, like Lowe's, Costco. You know, you throw in uh, Nordstrom's. We throw in Macy's and Bloomingdale's. Mm-hmm. Dollar stores had very different uh, experiences, and so a lot of it has to do with the consumer, where they're positioned, where these companies are positioned in in the uh, in the consumer market, right? Yeah. So clearly, I would say that inflation is definitely having an impact on the lowest income earning portion of the population in the United States, for sure. Yeah. Quite likely in Canada as well. And you're seeing that reflected in discretionary purchases that those families can make. They, they just don't have the disposable income right now because it's going to energy and food and all these other things. Yeah. But we're also seeing that the higher income earning portion of the population, those people that are going back and shopping for special occasions... Weddings that were put off, right? Reunions, um, entertaining, whatever the case may be, they're not particularly impacted by this. They can spend are spending. They are spending. They're not inflation sensitive either at this particular point. Um, The companies that service that segment of the population have been able to pass along price increases, maintain margins, and they've been rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting in this in this market, okay, inflation's higher, we've got it. There's some indication that 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 we're seeing it uh, turned. So maybe March was the peak. That's gonna take several months yet to, uh, to confirm that trend. Um, you're seeing an impact, we're seeing a slowdown. Mm-hmm. All the things that are supposed to be happening to take some froth out of the market, looks like they're starting to happen. And inventories. Inventories, yeah, right. Yeah, so they're raising, they're going up on certain goods. Certain goods. Certain goods. So that could lead to discounting. Yeah. That could take inflationary pressure down. Right. Clearly, you know, oil and gas is likely to remain high for a while given the uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. So there's some there's some sticky pieces right now given mm-hmm. some of the geopolitical problems we're having. Um, but it does indi- it does it does indicate that there's uh, there's some rollover. Now, here's the important piece. I think, in my opinion, you you give me your comment on this, is I think that um, it's going to. You know, a, a single data point or two data points don't make a trend. We need a trend. Market's going to look for that. Now, right now, I would say the market is very comfortable after the Fed's minutes that they released uh, to the last meeting that we are likely to see in the U.S. two fifty basis point increases, one in July. Uh, sorry, one in June and one in July. Mm-hmm. But July, to me, the way things are shaping up, looks to be a bit of a pivot point. So, if the next set of data points in inflation through July show that it has peaked and it's trending down, there's a lot of speculation. I think the market's uh, even pricing some of that in now that it could give the U.S. Fed uh, the ability to pause or at least back off on its sort of hawkish position of just endless interest rate hikes here. Yeah. And that would, you know, that pause or uh, perhaps a reduction or a slowdown or some, something different than, than today would give both the uh, equity and the bond markets a little bit of breathing room. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same arena that you are in, and and I think I think you're right that we do need at least two more months. Yeah, and they're looking at the month behind. Right, right. So, uh, I I hope that it I hope the numbers do come in, and that's what we're starting to see the the money supply in the U.S. Everything's starting to contract a little bit. Yeah, but I agree that we need a trend. Yeah, consumers have have in large part remained strong. Right. Yes, there's been some differences in the. Socioeconomic groups um, yeah, amongst 
uh, U.S. We get the best data out of the U.S. That's why I was talking about the U.S. But I suspect that that, that will be very similar uh, to Canada. Uh, earnings have provided uh, generally a pretty decent backdrop for the equity rally this week. Uh, we could talk about Canadian banks. You know, they, they've uh, virtually all the big banks have reported now. Um, and there's some similarities in the little, in some differences, but the credit quality of some of the banks, the loan loss provisions are a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. You know, generally speaking, loan books were pretty good. Um, uh, some, in some cases, international business like a bank in Nova Scotia, they did pretty well. Um, but, you know, dividend increases, maybe the odd surprise, but generally speaking, I think those all came in, yeah. um, you know, pretty close. There are some there are some of the CEOs warning about what might come, right? Some potential problems uh, in the future from an economic slowdown. But given that we need to see a little bit of economic slowdown anyways, I think that's, uh, you know, that'll likely be priced in fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything that, uh, that really surprised you this week uh, from a market perspective? Well, we're in the green. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a good fair trend. I think I think that that's the 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 biggest surprise is that the positive news coming in is uh, getting reacted from in, in a company perspective and, and the stock market itself, right? Yeah. That are going, okay, maybe that was a little bit overdone. Right? So you're getting some buyers. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I, I I was I'm always surprised, I guess, uh, when we get into the periods of uncertainty, how sharp the market reaction can be. If you look at a, a big company like a Target. 25% of the company's mm-hmm. value wiped out in a trading session. You look at, um, you know, a, a Dollar Tree or a Macy's, you know, you get 20% increases when they beat expectations. And they're just such wild swings, right? And it's it freaks people out. It scares people. And that price discovery on a daily basis, you know, it's not accurate. No. Right? You need, you need a trend of time. And that sort of speaks to people's ability to stay invested, stay in the market, Right, because the daily volatility, the daily price discovery that takes place, sometimes can be very extreme, and it sometimes gets it wrong in the short term. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, I think we had Snap also. I remember Snap on their release; they dropped forty-three percent in one day. They then no, I guess maybe pun intended. They snapped back eleven percent <laughs> the next day. Right, and you're going really like what changed in one day? Yeah, that, yeah. So that daily <laughs> price discovery could be really disturbing for people. Um, Rob, get lots of questions uh, about what's happening in the real estate market. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got rising interest rates. What is that going to mean nationally? What does that mean locally for us? So we thought we should we should explore that a little bit. Now, last time I checked, you're not a real estate agent. I'm certainly not a real estate agent. No. So we needed somebody who knows what they're talking about here. And Adam Sherrick was good enough to uh, to agree to join us. He's a realtor with CIR Realty. Um, Adam, first of all, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. What well, do you think? Well, it's a uh, uh, the conversation always in real estate on on Canada wide is always Toronto and Vancouver. So right. let's make it a little bit more local here. And Adam, from a previous conversation before we started here, we were saying that um, forty to fifty percent of the people contacting you through your website were from out of province. So you kind of give us an indication of why you think that is. A lot of uh, I'd say majority of them are are moving here for the opportunity that Alberta seems to present itself right now. So. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, you could say they're buying, they're selling high in Ontario and in, in BC right now, and they're coming to Alberta uh, buying low. And I mean, the cost of living here is quite lower than those two provinces as well. So I think, uh, you know, that's that's the main reason why they're why they're moving over here right now. So, yeah, Adam, I saw for the first time I was reading something recently talking about net migration of the province, and I think since 2015, this. You know, we've just turned the corner to see net positive migration back into Alberta. That's good to see, obviously. 
Uh, and that obviously will uh, will have an impact, as you said, on the real estate market. I'm also curious, you know, when I when I do some reading about national prices skewed by, Rob, what you said, mm-hmm. Vancouver or greater Vancouver, greater Toronto area, but with the rising interest rate uh, environment, uh, I'm curious to get your take from a, from an industry professional on how you see this filtering through on a national and then more more specifically on sort of a Calgary uh, basis. That's the big question right now in, in Alberta because we've been seeing such a spike in uh, growth that uh, you know everybody's wondering if the interest rates are going to really affect the pricing here. And uh, I mean, as of right now, like we still seen a, a record uh, April, you know, for sales. So, so so far it hasn't seemed to uh, to slow the growth too much yet. Um, and I mean, if if we continue to see uh, other Canadians migrate into Alberta, and we get, you know, we're seeing those um, bidding wars still going on, you know, then I'd assume that the prices will still rise. Like a lot of these folks moving out of province are, in my opinion, the reason why we're seeing these prices uh, growing exponentially, right? So, um, and they're coming in with cash a lot of times. So, you know, when when you have cash buyers, of course, that. Uh, you know the the interest rates don't really matter to them. Uh, you know, so uh, I mean, it doesn't affect them as much, I should say, right? So, so in saying that, I, you know, if we start seeing another 0.5 percent here and there, say we get another percent, a full percent in uh, 2022, which could happen, then I mean, it seems like the prices could, of course, slow down. You know, if we just continue to see that uh, that that spike in interest rates, right? So. It's really tough to say, of course. Have you seen, um, obviously we're in, we're in Calgary and it's been a, not a boom bust, but it's a, it's a cyclical city, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in your tenure as a, a real estate agent, have you seen this kind of interest before now in Calgary from, from here and from out of province? No, I haven't. Actually, and, and, uh, I'm, I was actually born and raised in Alberta as well. And I'd say like the last time in my early 20s during that time, from 2002 to, you know, 2008 before the, so, um, so yeah, like, you know, in my experience, I haven't, I started in 2014, and, you know, that was kind of the tail end of like, a, a, and then 2020 is when we've seen that decline. So, yeah, so this is the first time in my career that I've, I've seen this. You know, I was reading a, um, a Bloomberg article with some interest actually Friday morning, and I, it's about, it was about Hong Kong. And there's an exodus happening in Hong Kong for all kinds of reasons. But one of the areas, um, uh, Singapore was the number one destination for people moving out of Hong Kong. But uh, Canada was mentioned in the article as well. And I only raised that, um, I, I guess, to ask the question, Adam, are you seeing, I get the, the migration from different provinces. And it certainly makes sense to me that if the cost of living has got so high in Vancouver you know, or Toronto that you've got to come somewhere else. But are we seeing... Are we seeing Calgary as an international destination? Is there any indication or any data that you know of that that points to that? Look at uh, you know the CBRE was saying that the, we've seen a 17 point growth of um, tech employees coming to Calgary over uh, 2015 to 2020. So I think that was about 46 seven, uh, 46 thousand employees in the the tech industry that are here now. So I mean when you start seeing uh, tech companies coming here, uh, you start seeing growth again. And I mean, like, I think it's my opinion, but 
you know, we're it's primed to go to $150 a barrel, maybe upwards of $200 a barrel. So, I mean, when you see that type of growth, I could I could only imagine that uh, you know other countries are taking note of this, and those investors are starting to come here. Um, so, so so I'd assume that uh, we are seeing a lot of investors from out of country uh, keeping their eye on Alberta and investing in Alberta's market. And uh, recently, I was work I was just working with a gentleman from Germany. He just moved here from Germany, and he's already building a portfolio of uh, investment properties. So you know, and that's uh, that's just one experience. And uh, you know, and Calgary has I think six thousand real estate agents, and I'm sure a lot of us are experiencing uh, that type of you know, activity. So, Adam, maybe you could give us the experience right now from a buyer and seller's perspective, right? So if you're a buyer in this market, what should you, you know, expect? And if you're a seller in this market, what should you expect? Uh, so, so I educate my, my sellers that, you know, we're still in the seller's market after all. Um, so it's, uh, it's best to, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks have that expectation, like, hey, you know, we want the, uh, you know, multiple offers, you know, we want to wait maybe two or three days prior to reviewing any offers. And that strategy still is okay if you have the right prop. Whereas say January to March, it was when we were, it was, or uh, any property. You I see Mike got Type of viewers, now it's kind of, of uh, it's it's not as, you know, that, that pace isn't there anymore. Although it's still very strong market. Uh, when it comes, I mean, um, it's tough. You know, the opportunity is in home. It needs some work, right? But as a buyer, you're you. intimidated by hiring uh, to have that work completed. So if you're, you're looking for value, it's definitely in the work. Um, the the properties that are have been well made, um, um, show that, that you know the sellers have cared for their home. Those ones, you know, they're, I find they're in like good locations, of course, are moving fast still. We're still seeing competing offers, you know, so as a buyer, like I, I use a, a, a clause in my contracts that I won't, I won't talk too much about because you got to have a little bit of edge, but it just kind of uh, um, helps buyers in competing scenarios. And, uh, and anyways, I think it's, um, so that's something I discuss with buyers as well, because I mean, a lot of times you 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 your buyer and and you want to want them to know like hey like you got to be comfortable of course with your purchase price and even if we lose an offer by a hundred dollars you want to be able to sleep at night knowing that that max that you're willing to pay for home so yeah. some buyers they don't uh, they don't really come some of them don't come in at their highest price so that's where you can put in um you know basically a, a clause that to help your home at a higher price right so gotcha. Adam, I want to thank you very much. I know it's a complex topic. We've got a very short period of time to cover it, uh, but thanks for giving us some insight into what's happening in Calgary right now. Yeah, you're welcome. You guys have me on. Rob, travel is a big part of um, many, many people's lives, mm-hmm. not just in retirement, but throughout their lives as well. And of course, uh, travel has been disrupted quite significantly in the last couple of years, and people are at very different stages of trying to figure out, are they comfortable traveling again? Yep. Are they going to do the same kind of travel that they did before? What can I expect, you know, when I travel now? And we've got a terrific guest to try to help make some sense of 
uh, this uh, this whole market and area. Frederick Dimash, who is a director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at the Toronto Metropolitan University, is joining us. Frederick, thank you for taking some time and uh, joining us on the show today. You're welcome. Have a good day. Well, listen, I, I hope I did a proper job of setting this up because uh, when we talk to people, Rob, you and I talk to people, mm -hmm. there's, there, there is a very wide range of perceptions and concerns. Yeah, there's some that still don't feel comfort and there's a lot that are opening the floodgates and booking and traveling itself already. So mm -hmm. yeah, we've seen it. The conversation is a ton of influx of travel uh, here and abroad. Yep. Um, uh, Frederick, maybe you can say, so what do you think the mentality is for most people this summer when it comes to travel? What's, what's your, what are you hearing? Well, it's, it's really the, the great restart finally. You know, after two years of um, the travel and tourism industry being the hardest it, as we call it, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been stopped literally, as you know, the borders uh, were closed, you know, for Canada. People did not travel. People were not encouraged to travel at all. Uh, and then there was obviously health restriction, traveling, you, you need vaccination to travel in Canada as well. So all of those made people very fearful and, and, and concerned about the risk, obviously, of um, catching COVID, uh, you know, should you be in a destination, what would happen there? So the whole the issue about travel insurance, you know, came into play, of course. But then there is also the issue of uh, um, ease of traveling. And, and right now we know that it's difficult because the travel industry is not up to 100% yet. And uh, we know that uh, international, international airports, for example, are not at full capacity with respect to uh, employees. Not all employees have come back. And uh, that has led to a lot of uh, uh, problems in some of the major airports, you know, be it Vancouver or, or, or Toronto, for example, where people have been uh, waiting in long lines, you know, before traveling. So it's not easy yet. And there are still some restrictions. If you want to go to the United States, for example, you still need to show that you are negative. So you need a negative test, right? Um, some of the countries are totally open. Uh, if people are traveling internationally to Mexico, for example, or the Caribbean or to Europe, you don't need a test anymore. You just need to show that you have vaccinated to, to travel uh, uh, in Canada. And that's about it. But so, you know, it's we're on the rebound. Uh, people are gaining confidence again uh, in traveling. The industry is doing everything it can in order to uh, get their employees back and provide the service that they need to provide. But there are still some bumps on the road. What's your sense, Frederick, of, um, of people who have maybe delayed to this point but are getting more comfortable, maybe their friends have traveled and it hasn't been a horrible experience, you know, for this summer, what, uh, how's it shaping up uh, in terms of the great rebound? Are you seeing, are we going to overwhelm the system here based on what you've just said or what, you know, what should people expect? Well, you know, people will have to expect some delays, possibly. People will have to expect, I would, I would dare say lower levels of services uh, in travel and, and hotels as well. Why? Because we don't have enough employees. And, and that's the truth. There is definitely a labor gap right now that is very well documented. So I think people will have to be prepared for that. And um, as they go traveling, whether it's departing, traveling or in the destination, I think I would recommend people to be a bit more patient than they would have been otherwise with the service providers, uh, understanding that we we are still in a difficult situation. Now, the good news is that people are traveling again. Uh, the good news is that, um, you know, we, we can we can move, we can travel. And, and uh, for many of us, uh, we're going to be traveling this summer for the very first time in two years. And uh, th that's certainly welcome. 
and sh and that should be encouraged, I should say. Uh, Frederick, with the demand you've been mentioning, right, there is a definitely a high demand. Um, do you think people that haven't booked yet for travel are are they out of luck, or is there still an opportunity here? So it will depend on where they want to go to. Uh, in terms of hotel capacity, uh, it's back to normal. You know, the hotels are reopening and there are hotel rooms. So if, if people uh, are not able to find a hotel rooms, there is always a competitor or something like this. I mean, they're going to be able to find some accommodation. In terms of travel, it's much more difficult. Why? Because the capacity is not back to 100% yet. The airlines have not put on in the air, all the airplanes yet. Um, you, you rental car companies don't have as many cars as they had two years ago. Also, so uh, unless you have booked already, and and if you haven't done yet, I recommend that you try and do that right away. Um, try to book your plane ticket. Try to get your rental car if that's what you're looking for, because you may be uh, out of luck when you find out that for the dates and for the destination that you are looking for, you don't have uh, airlift or you don't have the rental car that you want. I'm curious, Frederick, on your comments around um, setting aside the component of air travel that would be required to go on a cruise. Uh, we have a lot of people that we talk to that, you know, pre-pandemic really enjoyed that cruising experience. And it would seem to me that that, that form of travel um, might be under some additional pressure. So your thoughts of where that particular industry is and how it's responded to making people feel a little safer. So that sector in particular has been very hard hit. And if you remember the headlines of newspapers two winters ago, uh, when there were some uh, uh, COVID outbreaks on the cruise ships and the cruise ship could not land anywhere really, and people were stuck uh, on the ships. I mean, that really hurt the travel industry and the cruise industry specifically. So now they are back, uh, they are working, there have been already some talks about a COVID outbreak on some of those ships. And, and if you are health concerned, um, you know, you have to be careful with that because when you go on a ship, you're going to be stuck on that ship for, for a week or two weeks, depending on how long your, your cruise is. And, and you have to think about the consequence of being stuck in your, in your room, basically, in your little room, uh, if there is an outbreak uh, on, on that cruise ship. So, um, the cruise companies are doing all they can, obviously, to, to assure, uh, you know, the safety of their passengers. But but as we know, um, everybody can get COVID, you know, whether you wear a mask or not, whether you, you are careful, uh, as soon as you encounter some other people, and on a cruise ship, you are sure to be encountering some other people, there is a risk. So that that's something that, that people need to be paying attention to. They, they need to be very careful about this. And what about domestic travel, Rob? We've talked to lots of people who have, you know, over the past couple of years, it's not, uh, you know, when, when we were free to move around, Frederick, people, I think, and I, I'm in this group, we, you know, we decided we would see a little bit of Canada that maybe we wouldn't otherwise see. What's your sense um, of, of how we feel as Canadians about domestic travel? So domestic travel has been encouraged. Uh, in fact, the, the um, uh, industry association, the travel industry association has encouraged uh, Canadians to travel within Canada for safety reason, baby, but also to support the travel and tourism industry. Uh, and, and I think, you know, some people are still a little bit afraid about the, the risk of, of catching a disease abroad, right? And, and they'd rather stay at home where it's going to be easier. So we may see an increase in domestic travel. Um, on the other hand, uh, um, we do we have the capacity to accommodate all the domestic travelers? 
plus the international travelers that are starting to come back to Canada, that's something that you should be aware of. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, people should be booking early. And, and then there is another factor to consider is the cost of traveling. Um, the costs have gone up. Uh, recently for many reasons. First of all, because um, not the, the, the whole, like I said earlier, you know, all the planes are not flying yet. Uh, so uh, supply is limited. That's one thing. Then there is inflation. Um, you can blame uh, the, the, where, uh, the, the war in, in Ukraine. You can blame uh, the rise of, of, uh, of uh, gas oil and this type of thing. But um, bottom line is everything is going up in terms of pricing and, and uh, the hotels are getting more expensive, the price of gas is getting more expensive. So traveling will be more expensive, even if you want to travel in Canada. Okay, well, we're quickly running out of time. But if I let me sum it up this way, costs are higher, please be patient, right? And it's going to be a little bit different than what you experienced uh, pre pandemic. Would that be a safe, safe set of assumptions? Absolutely. So I, I don't want to discourage people from traveling. I think we're happy to be traveling again and, and we need it. You know, we, we need to get away. <laughs> we need to travel. We need to see our friends and family again and wherever that is. Um, but I would recommend people to be more patient indeed because I think uh, service quality levels have gone down because of the labor gap in, in, in Canada, but also in other destination as well. And, um, you know, be nice to people around you. Uh, we, we've seen uh, at Toronto Airport or even in some European airport. I remember a story this week in Amsterdam where, where people are actually fighting each other because they get angry, you know, waiting in line, etc., etc. So I think we have to, to be uh, um, armed with extra an extra level of patience before traveling this summer. That's great advice. Frederick, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you very much. We've been joined by Frederick Dimanche, who's the director of Ted Rogers School of Hospitality, as in uh, Hospitality and Tourism Management at the Toronto Metropolitan University. You know, in, in preparation for this show, what we often do is, is just talk about what conversations we've had and mm -hmm. look for the similarities and where the overlaps are. Yeah. And, um, and there were some common elements to some conversations you've been having. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. Yeah, and it's not, it's not just about volatile markets. Right. right. It's not just about the stock market, the bond market. <laughs> it's about your total wealth. Right. And that can include other asset classes, including real estate. So that, that has been the biggest point of conversation is... I have this portfolio, I have real estate, it may be investment, it may be land, it may be something else. Is now a good time to sell that real estate because the stock market has had a, a correction, right? Yeah. Or, or interest rates are going up and yeah. worried about what that might do, right? So is it is it a time to cash in on that asset class and move to something liquid, something different? So that's been the major points of conversation. You know, and when we were chatting about uh, about that, it, what, what was interesting is the conversations you were having, and, and I've had some as well, about real estate and the impact of rising interest rates on the real estate market, mm -hmm. locally, nationally, whatever it might be. Um, but the, the conversation that you and I had broadened out pretty quickly, and what we, what we discovered in the conversations is people were thinking in a very siloed way. Yeah. Right? So when you said the phrase total wealth, I'm not sure any, you know, that resonates with people. But we think, we typically think, people typically think in terms of silos. I've got my principal residence, which is different than, say, a rental property I've got. Right. Which is different than a small business I own. Which is different than the, you know, the portfolio of stocks and bonds that I own. And so we think in terms of these silos instead of saying, hey, here's all of the wealth that we have as a family. And where mm -hmm. are we exposed, right? And, and managing those risks. And so 
one of the things in some of the conversations I know you had with people were talking about, well, what's your real estate exposure? Mm-hmm. Right? How much of your total wealth is tied up in real estate and what type of real estate is it? Right? And so trying to bring some context to what that asset class represents as, as, a, as a total wealth component. Because the question is often anchored in, and I want your opinion on this. When people ask us about a real estate, uh, you know, a real estate investment or a stock, a bond, whatever it might be, there's kind of a, this, there's an emotional connection to, to that one aspect of it, yep. right? And so we tend to get drawn in as people, we tend to get drawn into that one area and then it become very myopically focused on that and we forget about everything else, Yep. right? And so I, I, I thought that was, uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation to, to have and that we should maybe expand on what total wealth actually means. So, so walk me through this idea, the conversation, right? I'm you know, obviously not going to share anybody's name here, but, but when, you, when we get this myopic, myopic question about should I sell my real estate, it's a bigger conversation to have. It, it is, and it's, it's, it's an emotional one normally where, okay, something's done well. I, I need to get out of it. That's it, right? And that can obviously evolve into the stock market, which we'll get into in a portfolio. We'll get into yeah. that. But I've actually had the conversation on the other side of it. Is it a good time to buy real estate for investment purposes? Right. Because the rental market may become strong right. with rising interest rates. Right. So people are looking at it differently. Right. Oh, right. no, for sure. Absolutely. Maybe as an income. Yep. Taurus. Yep. The other side is if, if I'm, some are thinking of selling, others are thinking of piling in because it's done really well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you get the opposite effect. Right. Yeah. And that can happen in the real estate stock bond market. It doesn't really matter. But we were talking to that before, too, on on the emotional factors of that. Right. We have my take is we have less timing emotion on real estate. Right? Why is that, do you think? Oh, many factors. <laughs> and I think it's not priced to price to uh, to market every day. Yeah. Yep. So we talked earlier in the show about this this idea of price discovery, and when a stock drops by twenty five percent, then it comes back by ten percent the next day, right? That that those swings it's that not vol- in your face, it's crazy, yeah. right? Real estate isn't in your face. What I'm also very interested in, and again, we're talking silos, is when people forget. So if 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 stocks and bonds are falling, or let's say stocks are falling because the economy is contracting or going to recession, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that the same thought process is not reflected in the real estate market, right? Right. It's interesting that people get trapped in this idea. It's thinking the economy can be bad, but their house can maintain its value, right? Now we have to live somewhere, right? I get the idea of a principal residence and yep. so on and so forth, but I'm just speaking to the um, to the sort of the behavioral finance dynamics that that take place when we think in terms of silos, right? And I think that the the takeaway from this this section in the conversations that we've had. And, and I'm privy to some of the conversations you've had with people around this question is to think more broadly based. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do we own? What is our what is our total wealth picture? And that's a, often a financial planning example, right? And and I'm not saying real estate's good or bad. I'm not saying stocks are good or bad. What I'm saying is that there should be a balance of something, right? And yep. if you're overweight real estate, if you're overweight stocks, if you're overweight bonds, whatever the case may be, it's important just to be able to identify where your wealth is, where it's exposed, what the risks and what the opportunities right. of those are across the whole spectrum. And not just financial. Right. Right. Not just financial. That's right. What's making you feel comfortable, what your carrying costs are, and what your, oh, what if it's a rental property, mm-hmm. right? what, what the time, mm-hmm. how much time you're going to spend dealing with it. 
I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because, uh, and we're, we're running short on time, so I wanted to address this. We've also had conversations this week about people wanting uh, to, to sell into the recent rally. Mm-hmm. Should we be getting out now? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. They wanted to sell at the lows. They want to sell on the bumps up. It, it speaks to this emotion again. And I'm going to go back to this idea of that we constantly talk about the structure in discipline. Um, you know, is this, the question we're getting, is this a, just a dead cat bounce in a, in a bear market? Is it, uh, is it the forming of a bottom and it's, it's a recovery? And the answer is we, we don't know, right? We'll only know. History will tell us which one of those things it is. We don't know. Now, that might be unsettling for some people to hear. But the fact is, it brings us back to the idea of structure and discipline. And um, these are gut check moments always when you get lots of volatility. Way more fun on the upside than it is on the right. downside. But the point is, are, are your, is your total wealth positioned in a way that supports your family's goals and objectives, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's the structure piece, the discipline, discipline piece. I'll give you a good example of, of uh, relative trades. So when what's been working well this year? Well, commodities. Take oil, right? Something we're well aware of in this town. Oil prices going through the roof. You've got equities that are attached to oil and gas going through the roof. Some people want to pile more in, mm-hmm. okay? which could increase your exposure there, right? Now we got a structure and potential structure and discipline problem because you might be changing your strategy, okay? If there's nothing wrong with the strategy, and this is just recent volatility, then the discipline should be trimming the profits that you make in those outperforming areas and redirecting those into the underperforming areas because something like technology this week has exploded relative to oil and gas. And so profits that you take from those performing right. assets and you pump into the underperforming assets on that recovery, you get a bigger kick. And so I, I just want to reiterate, the structure and discipline uh, remains consistent. doesn't matter the market, but the goals and objectives have to match what your, your wealth strategies are. And if you do that, and you maintain structure and discipline through time, you're going to be okay. Not discounting the anxiety we can feel <laughs> when things bounce around, right? But I think that's a fair statement. Yep, absolutely. Okay, listen, we're going to have to put all that into English at some point, and we can probably try to do that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, let's do that Tuesday, June 21st at 7 p.m. This will be live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Rob and myself, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.